Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Looking around, I finally see I think I need a change. The rat race I want to flee My world I'll rearrange I'm getting back to the roots of how it's meant to be Growing gardens, picking fruit, racing livestock, living free Welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. This is your host, Rachel Jamison. And today I interview Nicholas Ferguson. He is a ecosystems engineer. But in this interview, we are focused on fodder trees, tree crops, um, growing food for your homestead instead of using the feed store or in conjunction with using the feed store. With that, I would like to welcome Nicholas Ferguson. Yeah, so I'm I'm Nick Ferguson. Uh, I am a an ecosystems uh, engineering consultant. I travel all over the U.S. Um, helping people, uh, clients from you know who have less than a quarter of an acre in an urban kind of a setting to um, you know my my typical clients are anywhere have anywhere from five to forty acres um, up to larger clients that have hundreds of acres and multinational corporations that have thousands of acres. I do this all over the U S and, uh, abroad and what, you know, what ecosystem engineering is, is, uh, mechanical engineers. They deal with creating machines that make things or, um, have a bunch of little intricate parts that work all together to do a certain thing, to produce a certain result. Uh, civil engineers, they work with the soil, with geology, and they put down concrete pads and build buildings and and they do all, you know, they work with all these other types of systems and they build stuff. <clears throat> um, electrical engineers, you know, they, they work with all these different electrical components and wires and they create these complex systems that all intermesh and interweave to do something so with ecosystem engineering we're doing the exact same kind of thing we are engineering we're designing and a whole ecosystem to do the same kind of thing for the client um so we're uh we're not we're not allowing ourselves to get laser focused on one one end result we are looking at the whole ecosystem from a holistic perspective and uh, we're dealing with the limitations that we have and and what we do with ecosystem engineering is we work with the constraints that we have to get as close to 
the client's end goal as we possibly can. Now, with with some landforms, you know, if the client is just really interested in, I don't know, uh, raising sheep for meat, for instance, mm -hmm. but their their whole property is a swamp. Well, you know, right. there's there's constraints there. Um, we can overcome those constraints with lots of money. Yeah. Or we can just work with what we have and create something that could be equally profitable using what we have to produce a good outcome that works with the constraints that we're that we're working with. You know, for something like that, you might want to look more uh, at utilizing ducks and geese and other kinds of waterfowl to produce an income or produce that end result. And, uh, you know, to speak specifically to, you know, the topic that we're talking about today um, with, with fodder trees. Right. You know, I've been doing this for 10 plus years. The first several years that I was doing this professionally, all, every single one of my clients' ecosystems, they all had this same fatal flaw. Um, I, I always try and – I'm not a doom and gloomer. Right. But I always like to think about the exit strategies. How, how can we make this system work if times are good right. or if times are bad? Because any student of history knows things go in cycles. And that there transition are, can be really hard to go from traditional, yes. well, what, not even traditional, to what we use now with feed and in the mm -hmm. store a lot to what you're talking about. Right, right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and, and you don't want to be trying to transition if you're in the middle of a major depression. Um, right. And, you know, anyone who's got their head straight, uh, screwed on straight is looking at what's happening in the world right now. Yeah. And um, if you're not uncomfortable, by golly, you better, you better be uncomfortable here pretty soon. Um, I feel behind the eight ball. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I think we all kind of trying to play catch up here. Yeah, yeah. We're all, all, we're all yeah. feeling a little uncomfortable. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, all of these, these systems all had this one fatal flaw in that everyone depended on the feed store and and by golly if if there is feed let's say let's just because because i try and always design for the worst case scenario yeah. i try and make sure that you know we're not designing ourselves into an amish lifestyle right yeah because that's just not tenable for the vast majority of us it's not practical so let's not do something that's impractical. Let's not design in into our into our system something that's going to be so so um, so difficult to do on a day to day basis yeah. that that we just design in this this horrible horrible workload. You know, we want to be smart about it, but we also want to make sure if everything goes sideways. I can still feed my family. I might have to change what I'm doing. I might have to work harder or I might, right. we might have to work differently, but I could still feed my family. Right. Um, well, and your system isn't even, I mean, even if, so say times never get tough, it's still saving. Yes. We've all seen that price tag go up. So even if the grain is still there, 
Uh-huh. That price of growing your chicken eggs or growing out your meat birds um, has gone up substantially. Right. And yeah. wouldn't it be amazing if you could substitute your meat birds um, diet and drop the cost 20%? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's because you can, re you can replace 20% of your layer or your meat bird ration with white mulberry leaves without any reduction in, in their production. Yeah. So let's talk about that. You're talking about white mulberry, which is the mm -hmm. fodder trees. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. you wanted to talk about the fodder trees and what are fodder trees and you have some favorites. Yep. Yep. So um, there's, again, we, we like to, I like to encourage people, um, don't, don't reach for the stars. Don't, uh, don't uh, prevent yourself from doing something good just because you can't do it perfectly. So if you're on a shoestring budget, I don't want to see people saying, well, I, I have to buy these special magic trees that Nick says are best. Yes, there's a best option, but I guarantee just about everybody has something growing in their yard growing on their property, growing nearby that they could use as a, a fodder source. And fodder is just feed. Mm -hmm. um, fodder is feed. It is, um, it's an old technology. This is something that's been used for thousands of years. We have documented historical evidence of this going on like three, 4,000 years ago in, in the East. It's mm -hmm. been going on in Europe for hundreds and hundreds of years. People are still doing it today. It's just fallen out of favor with industrial agriculture. Because it's um, a little bit more work, right? It's, it, it's yeah. more work. Right. Um, and if we're, if we're talking about doing it on a small scale, it either requires you to invest into machinery or it requires you to invest into some manual labor. Okay. Yeah. Chopping stuff with your hands, swinging mm -hmm. an axe, swinging a machete. Um, but it's it's really not that difficult. It's just some more work. But right. you can raise feed for free. And so, you know, when we're when we're kind of um, slicing and dicing the problems and looking at the the whole ecosystem and and looking at where the failure points are, one of those major failure points is almost invariably going to be how do I feed the animals right um, so you know if if I can't feed the animals because times got tough there's a depression going on and either there's no feed at the feed store or there's feed at the feed store but I don't have the money for it right there could be all of the resources that you need readily available but if you don't have the cash for it it might as well not exist right yeah. Um, and, and those two scenarios happen over and over and over throughout history. Either it's not available or it is available and you just don't have the money for it. Um, there would be, you know, there's, there's food at the stores during the Great Depression, but just nobody had money. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if things got really tough again, I don't want people to be going hungry. I don't want kids to be going hungry. Right. I want people to be resilient and able to weather those storms. I want people to be able to work a little harder, 
and feed their families well. And the main thing that we can do from all of the analysis I've done, the biggest thing that you can do to produce independence, especially on smaller acreages, is to Mm -hmm. grow fodder leaves. Um, So let's talk about my three favorites. I'll talk about probably my bottom tier and then Mm -hmm. finish with my top tier. Um, Bottom tier is going to be hybrid poplar. Um, That's a hybrid cottonwood. It's a populus deltoides, normally crossed with another um, populus genus tree. And um, it grows extremely fast. It's it's a very light, um, quick burning wood. So it's it's quite useful as the fuel wood. It burns clean. And it produces more BTUs per acre per year than oak does. Really? I did not know that. Yes. Um, so, you know, we want to we want to think about, you know, this is this is excellent livestock feed, but are there other uses for it? And we can get into that a little bit later. Um, right. But one of those, fan, I mean, people grow hybrid poplar in in lots just as fuel wood. Okay. To to burn in wood stoves. Like that's all they grow it for. They yeah. just don't know that sheep can eat that as almost a hundred percent replacement for their diets. Wow. Yeah. That's sheep cool. and goats that's can cool. eat. Uh, I think it's like somewhere around 80, 90% of a that, replacement diet. That's huge. Okay. That's, that's, ma- that's huge. a, that's a really big deal. And the, and these trees, once they get established, I planted 800 trees this spring and my hybrid poplar, from little bare root trees that were probably 18 inches tall. Um, right now, they're standing at eight to 15 feet tall. Wow. And, they're, and, and we had a, a really tough year. Yeah, yeah. We did too up here. We had pretty good drought, even in Michigan. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It was a yep. really bad drought. Um, so, on an ideal year, I, I would have expected to see at least 16 feet out of those. Uh, this year. Um, and, uh, so before I get into, you know, production numbers and, and how this actually works, um, let's talk about the second one, which is a hybrid willow. Mm -hmm. And one of the nice things about willow is, um, it's pretty much almost a 100% replacement diet for rabbits. And okay. when it comes right. to sustainable meat production, yeah. um, rabbits will produce just about everywhere and they breed like rabbits. Um, <laughs> and, and you can produce hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds of meat in a very small square footage area in a shed. Um, yeah, I mean, in, yeah, they could do that on a small homestead. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, on a, a small lot in the city. Yeah. Yeah. You can you can raise your rabbits in a garage. They're quiet. There are almost no city ordinances prohibiting them. I've never heard of any. Um, you know, raising chickens. There's a lot of places where you yeah. can keep a couple, but mm-hmm. you can't keep a rooster. That's not very sustainable. Um, yep. But you could keep rabbits. Um, and this would be one way to r- basically raise free meat. Because if you raised all of the food that they ate on your yeah. acreage, 
Right. Then that's free meat. It costs you your time. That alone right there, if you just did those two things, grew the grew the hybrid willow and had the rabbits. I mean, that that's just that's such a great little nugget <laughs> right. of hope right there. And right. cost savings too, as as prices go up and absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and rabbits are very versatile meat. It pretty much tastes like chicken. Um, and if you don't tell someone that they're eating rabbit, they'll think it's just dark chicken meat. Right. Yeah. Um, the bones are a little different, so they might say, Oh, these bones are different. This weird chicken. Um, (laughs) uh, and, and then my top, the, the king of, of fodder trees, in my opinion, is always going to be white mulberry. And the reason for that, uh, while it doesn't grow it nearly as fast as the hybrid willow and the hybrid poplar, um, the white mulberry will produce, you know, 30 plus percent protein in early summer. And, and so when we're talking about raising protein to put on, put meat on animals, man, white mulberry just completely kills it. Uh, it's been, it's been developed and, and selectively bred for hundreds, if not thousands of years in China to feed silkworms. Right. And so whether they understood what they were doing or not, the really successful silkworm producers would have some trees that would just do really good. And so they'd propagate those and, and plant more and they'd breed some more and, and they keep doing that and they keep improving. And, wow, this whole field that we planted with this one kind of tree or this one batch of seed is just garbage. And so they'd rip it all out and replace it with something better. And you do that over thousands of years, you end up with some really good, high yeah. digestibility, high protein leaf content, which is what we have with white mulberry now. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. And people ask me all the time, well, I have red mulberry on my property. Will that work? Absolutely. It's not going to be as high protein as the white mulberry. Okay. Yeah. We have two Um, wild mulberries on our mm -hmm. property right now. Yeah. But absolutely. Can you do the exact same thing? 100%. um, Which is why I always tell people, listen, uh, you know, I have my three magic trees that I think are best. Right. The reason I think they're the best is they grow exceedingly fast. They produce very well. Um, but can you use the willows on your property? Absolutely. They might just not grow as fast. Right. So there's always that that give and take. Can you shoestring your, your production? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. You're not going to get as good of production as much pounds per acre for the amount of time you're putting into it with a native tree versus a hybrid because right. the hybrid's just going to grow faster. My, the, the willow that I planted, you know, it's over 12 foot tall. Wow. That's crazy. From a little tiny bare root tree that was 12 inches tall. It put on, you know, 10, 11 feet. And how long did that take? Oh, that's just from this spring. Wow. Cause I mean, I got, I, I mean, for the audience, I actually have some of your trees and planted. Yep. Not one of them died. They're all thriving. And we had six weeks of no rain. And then we had seven weeks of no rain. Now that said, I did go out, I fertilized them and I watered, hand watered them every weekend, but um, they're doing great. The Good. deer, did, the deer did discover a few. So mm-hmm. <laughs> they they're <love> tasty. <laughs> they're yeah, tasty. I'm like, I have mm. a thousand other trees here and you want these ones. Of course. Because they're the tastiest. <laughs> 
Right. So is this something that you can um, scale up or scale down? Is this only something that a really small homestead could do or a really big homestead could do? Or is the sky the limit? At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Oh, um, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That's one of the, the major things that people will bring up with, uh, you know, keyboard warrior debates. Well, this is not scalable. You can't do this big, large scale. I'm sorry. I have, I've seen drone footage and you can look this up on YouTube. Um, I think it's in the Netherlands or somewhere. Um, they have massive thousands of acres planted to hybrid poplar and they're cutting this stuff. They're growing it in a coppice system where you cut the top off the tree and it regrows and you cut it again and it regrows and you keep doing this year after year after year. And it produces tons of wood. Yeah. Yeah. And they're growing this not as animal feed, but they're growing this hybrid poplar and cutting it with these giant combines that just come through and cut it. They bundle it and they're using it to burn in power generation plants to turn steam generators. Wow. It's just blowing my mind. My mind's going in 15 different directions because I'm thinking, you know, you're thinking animal feed and then you're thinking, well, gosh, you could use this for your wood stove and you could use it for just, I mean, just so many uses. And yet we, it's a technology that we've basically forgotten. It's a forgotten it technology. Yeah, it yeah. existed before, and we've just kind of forgotten it. Yeah, uh, um, a, a lot of people have have heard these terms, but they just didn't ever know what it was. Um, I, you know, you might have heard of a copse of trees. Yeah, someone hid in a copse. Oh, well, a that copse, makes total sense now. Yeah, a copse was a. Yeah, it's a it, woodlot. Right. Yeah, where and they, they were really bushy, so the copse. Yes. If you want to explain that the coppices where they cut real low to the tree or real low yeah, to yeah. the ground, and then all these mm-hmm. little branches come up and it gets like mm-hmm. all bushy, which would mm-hmm. make it impossible to see somebody. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and the other option is you can pollard. Correct. Something similar, but not the same. Yeah, so. yeah, it's the same but different. Um, uh, so coppicing would be cutting low to the ground, generally about four inches off the ground or so, and. The one of the benefits to that is the all of the stuff that you're going to be harvesting, all of your work is going to be down where it's easy to reach. Mm-hmm. Pollarding would be cutting up high, and generally it is in a livestock inclusive system. Coppicing would be livestock ec- uh, excluded okay. system. Okay. Um, so pollarding would be livestock including system, where there's animals grazing underneath of it. And so you would cut it up high above the browse height of whatever animal you were grazing. I mean, if you're grazing pygmy goats, you might be cutting at four foot above the ground. Right. So you could still, you know, be below that shoulder height um, and you could still work those trees, but your livestock wouldn't be able to reach the branches and snip them off. Because if livestock snip them off, 
they're going to prevent it from producing very much. Oh, okay. Yep. That, that part I did not, I had not read. And so you're talking livestock. Is there specific animal? Like, I don't, there's, you got rabbits and you've got pigs and you've got cows and you got goats. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you've got some other different outliers like llamas, um, horses even. Mm-hmm. Can all, can all of these animals eat tree hay or tree fodder? Yes. Um, now the reason why I, I always encourage people to start with those three. So if you're going to be spending some money and doing this the right way, and, uh, you have more money than time, or maybe your time is so short that you are just, you just have to throw money at it. Mm -hmm. Um, if that's your situation, then buy those three types of fodder trees. Um, because you know they're safe. I know that those three types of fodder trees are safe for just about any uh, domestic animal that I've been able to come across. Um, okay. You know, horses. Horses are very particular. There's yeah. a lot of stuff that will kill horses. Yes. Uh, some stuff horses can eat that sheep and goats can't. Um, there are some trees that look fine that you'll see your animals eating, but if you cut it and it wilts and you feed it wilted, it'll kill them. Um, If it dries, it might be fine, but there might be a little time period where it could kill them. Um, Some of those tree leaves are poisonous no matter what. So if you don't have the time to do the education to figure out what those native trees are and are they safe, then stick with the tried and true those three species, you know what they are, buy them, plant them, and that works. If you have more time and you have the ability to do the education, to learn the, the different tree species and, um, and learn which ones are safe and which ones are not, then you can do it totally shoestring and just use what's on your property. There are okay. literally hundreds of species that are safe for almost all of those livestock to eat. Um, like I said, this is old technology. They've been doing it for hundreds and right. hundreds of years all over the world. Um, so, yes, you can do it totally shoestring. Um, and but so that's why I like those three is because they're just they're just great. Yeah. Yeah. And up here, I mean, you guys have winter down there where your your leaves fall off the trees. Yep. We have it here longer. Um, mm-hmm. So what do you do in the winter? Yeah. So uh, so in the winter, um, it's the same kind of thing as, as making hay. There's a couple different ways that we can preserve this stuff. So we can um, cut the leaves and dry them. You want to dry them in the shade. And you can bundle them up and just leave them on the branches just like that and mm-hmm. preserve that as tree hay. And then you can just feed that. Animals will go nuts for that stuff. Um, cows, sheep, goats, llamas, um, Horses, any of those herbivores will go nuts for them. Not so much the poultry. Um, okay. uh, with with the poultry, they're just not designed to eat tons yeah. of leaf matter. Yeah. They just don't have the digestive system for it. They're omnivores or insectivores. Um, geese are herbivores. Geese will go nuts. Interesting. I guess I didn't think about that, but they are. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we can dry them and preserve them that way. Um, but what I think is better 
if you have the wherewithal and the ability to do this, you cut the leaves fresh and mm -hmm. you shred them and you turn them into a fermented product, just like corn silage or okay. haylage. So the branches as well. Um, the, the very, the, leaves. the very tender branches. Okay. Um, basically, uh, just to, to get an idea for what branches we're talking about, if you were to cut that branch off and hang it over a, a fence, stick it in there with a whole bunch of sheep and goats and see what all they cut off of it because they will eat some of the branches, mm -hmm. see the stuff that they bite off and, and chew up and eat. Pretty much if it's that size or smaller, if it's gone off of that branch and you saw what was on there to begin okay. with and then what's missing, everything that they took off, put it in there. Um, we don't want big old branches getting shredded right. and yeah. chunks of wood because yeah. they're just not going to eat it. Yeah. Um, it's not going to hurt anything. It's just going to be kind of wasted space. And we want to get right. as much good stuff in there as we can. Um, so... You know, one, one really easy way you could do this, um, they make these leaf shredders for, um, for people that live in cities that have these have beautiful yeah. trees that drop these nasty, horrible things <laughs> every fall and they cover their lawn and we got to get those off and put them in plastic bags and send them to a landfill. Right. Um, leaf shredders. That yeah. or you make leaf mold, which is what we or do. You yeah. make, or you make compost, beautiful compost. Yeah. Um, so you could take one of those leaf shredders and you cut your branch and you just jab the branch down in the leaf shredder and pull it out. Okay. And it's going to okay. strip off the leaves and it's going to strip off the little twigs and stuff. And you're going to shred the leaves and you smash it into something like a five-gallon bucket if you're doing okay. smaller batches, 55-gallon drum if you're doing big batches. Or you can scale it up as big as you want to scale it. Big old, I mean, you could do this with a combine. Okay. Um, I've wow. seen video uh, of these small combines going uh -huh. down and cutting mulberry rows and spitting out shredded mulberry leaves into a trailer being pulled right next, just like if it was like brand. Like it was silage. Or like just it was like it was silage, yeah. Wow. And and they're they're producing this stuff on mass, just like they would with corn silage. Interesting. Except it's so a you, perennial crop. When you put these in barrels, do you add anything to it or it's just. Yeah. yeah. So, so just like with, with any kind of fermentation, we can, um, we can help kick that up a notch by adding some sugar for okay. the lactobacillus to eat. So you can go with just a sugar water or molasses. A lot of, uh, a lot of places overseas in India, and Pakistan and, and kind of that region, um, they do a lot with with this with fodder trees because okay. they have to, yeah, because yeah. they're poor, yeah, um, and and it works great, and so they do it, and okay. it's very affordable. So they'll take about one kilogram of molasses per fifty-five gallon drum, which is two point two pounds of sugar hmm. for a fifty-five gallon drum, and they'll just diluted in hot water and they'll lay a, a layer of the tree, the tree leaves in there, the shredded leaves, they'll smash okay. it down and sprinkle some of that molasses water, just a little bit of the molasses water, huh. smash some more leaves down, sprinkle a little bit more, smash it down. Kind of like making some. sauerkraut, but with fodder. Interesting. Exactly. 
exactly with mulberry leaves or willow leaves or the the poplar leaves or all three of them combined together um the the poplar and willow are lower protein the white okay. mulberry is higher protein right. so you know if you make a a early summer batch that's really really high protein because there's a lot of white mulberry in there and you make a late summer batch and you've got enough animals that you're opening up two at the same time we'll start your your late summer uh, open up your late summer batch and your earliest spring batch it makes a 50 50 and it helps yeah. moderate it down so you don't yeah. have the low protein or the really high protein and end up with some gi issues with your animals right um yeah are you um, making silage right now at your property then no i am focusing on cuttings okay everything that i can get right now um gets used fresh uh, this upcoming year, though, I'm going to be making some silage just okay. educational um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to shoot some videos to show people how to do it, how easy it is. It's yeah. it's, it's really dead simple. Um, I have made it before. Um, we're just getting back into livestock. I've just I've been traveling yeah. so yeah, much. Yeah, you have been busy. Yeah, um, that I just haven't been able to make okay. the, the yeah. whole livestock thing profitable. Um you know, when I'm gone for two, three weeks at a time, yeah, it's tough to have a uh, livestock profitable, right? Um, so, so, we, so yeah. So we can basically feed these to any animal. It just depends. Um, some animals can obviously more rabbits, like you were saying, can eat a lot. Um, yep. Uh, chickens can eat a little bit, so it mm -hmm. just depends. And you, you, we have to do our research with that, which can be a little bit hard to find, but yep. Well, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be coming out with more and more information on right. this. I'm going to have some, some videos on, on homegrown liberties, uh, YouTube channel. Um, cool. chickens are about a, a 20% replacement right. of their diet. Most yeah. ducks can handle more geese, of course, can handle, you a know, white, more, like. yeah, white mulberry, um, or a, a combo of the three would be a lot, a lot more, um, sheep you know you could feed them exclusively those three species same with rabbits wow. you mix those three species together the 100 replacement diet um uh i've got i've have white papers linked on rareplantstore.com yeah i've learned i've read them yeah that's yeah pretty I, great. I have white papers on there um talking about yep. pig feed 92 it's 92 or 98 we'll just say 92 percent replacement feed on on feeder meat pigs with fresh mulberry leaves. That just is amazing. That's cool. almost a hundred percent of their diet. Mulberry okay. Leaf. So you said, so you can do this with these animals 90%. So how many trees, how many trees should you plant? <laughs> um, like yeah. Five, 5,000. I mean, yeah. Like, well, um, so that is, that's one of those questions that, um, I like to get out there publicly because I get asked that a lot right. privately. I'll have emails and private messages. You know, how many trees do I need to, to plant? Man, they're living systems. They're growing. They're changing. Um, a first-year tree is not going to produce nearly as much as a 20-year-old tree. Right. A newborn animal is not going to eat nearly as much as a, you know, a newborn calf is not going to eat nearly as much as a 2,000 pound bull mm. or steer, mm. right? 
Right. Um, when they're in their growth phase versus their maintenance phase, is it a lactating cow or is she just maintenance? Is, yeah. you know, is she pregnant? These, these needs change. Um, and, and they change, you know, your, uh, your herd size might change. You might have more caloric needs in the fall when right. animals start, you know, making babies. Or here, sometimes I know a lot of animals need more in the winter to keep warm. Right. To keep warm. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, if we are, um, if we're storing this stuff, then, um, you're going to want to look to normal, normal feedstock options and back convert to your needs. So, um, a lot of this dried leaf matter is about equivalent or, um, a little bit better than most dried alfalfa products. Oh, okay. so, so if you feed alfalfa pellets, for instance, a 50 pound bag of alfalfa pellets will do whatever amount of feeding for whatever amount of time. If you feed the fodder tree leaves, it's about equal. You might get a little bit more feed value out of it per pound versus alfalfa, but that's a good way to, to kind of wrap your head around it. Yeah. Um, This is what I always tell people. Get as much planted as you can. Yeah. And then see how that goes. As that tree system matures, it will produce more for you. And you can always cut those trees down. Right. You can't get them planted next year and expect them to be producing like trees you planted five years ago. Yeah. So I say go a little bit bigger than you think you need to. Okay. Plant more than you think you need to. And then... Add more if you need more production or take some away if you need less production. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And and do you plant yours in, I mean, I've seen it done so many different ways and it probably just depends. It's always the answer. It depends, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Rows and food forests and clumps. How do you decide? um, Does that just based on each person's property? And, it's uh, it's based on each person's like property ability and right like yeah so so if you're going for production um you know if your goal is i want to get as much out of this with the least amount of effort um as possible i i want to do this mechanically if possible then straight rows are always easier you can have gently curving rows you can follow the contour um straight rows are almost always the easiest there's a reason why people grow like that because we can use machines to do most of the work for us. Right. So I'm planting mine in straight rows because they take pretty pictures. Yeah, they do. And it's easier to harvest. It's easier to manage. It's easier to maintain. Um, Straight rows means I can space them apart a little bit more and I can grow stuff in the middle. Okay. So, um, like I said, we planted 800 trees this spring and, um, that's in less than an eighth of an acre. Now I planted very densely. Wow. I, I saw planted, some pictures. They were really dense. 
Yeah. I planted every, um, depending on the species, um, between six and eight inches apart on center. And now, I thought I planted mine too close together. Not even close. Okay. Now, <laughs> yeah. Now here's the thing. I'm going to, in the next several years, three quarters of those trees will die. Right. I'll cut them out. They'll be but gone. But you planted for a different purpose. I planted, yes. I planted for a different purpose. I'm going to be yeah. getting fodder off of those. Right. But in the short term, I'm selling cuttings. Right. So I wanted to pack as I had a nice, secure, eight foot deer fenced old garden space that I could get all these trees in. I didn't want deer getting in there because they would decimate it because it's yeah. candy. Yeah. Um, so I had a nice fenced area that was secure. And my goal is to take cuttings off of those and sell those cuttings because I want to get these in the hands of as many people as as in the hands of as many people as I possibly can. Right. So, you know, my goal is to provide these at a cheaper price point than my competition. Right. Because I want more people growing more of these as soon as possible, because I think they could really help people um, in the coming years. Well, and not just help us. I think you know, grain isn't exactly great for the environment, <laughs> mm-hmm. but trees definitely are mm-hmm. a little bit better. Um, yeah. So what, is there other uses besides the leaves? Can you, I know you also have talked about pelletizing them, which is mm-hmm. definitely a little bit different process than mm-hmm. I had even thought. I didn't even realize that you could pelletize your own things at home. I had no oh, idea. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it's more expensive to, to pelletize. You know, you have the investment of the machinery. But like we were talking about, um, if we plan things for uh, if only if everything goes completely sideways, you know, if we're planning things for the world is going to end, the whole grid is going to disappear, a solar CME is going to happen. There's nuclear war or whatever. Something's going to take out everything that we know and love. And we're going back to the dark ages. Well, if that's your thinking, then you need a plan to live even more primally than the Amish do. Right. That's really hard work. Yeah. So I prefer to think about this. What if they keep pulling magic rabbits out of the hat and everything stays pretty much the same as it has. Mm-hmm. Can I pivot into prosperity? Right. Or can this still work if times get really tough? Yeah. Right. And if I were, let's say I were to invest in a hammer mill and a pelletizer and times got really tough and people could not afford the grain based products at the local feed mill mm-hmm. because it was just real expensive because diesel is expensive and the fertilizer is expensive and the equipment is expensive. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a bag of, of chicken feed at the feed store is $50. Right. Well, if I've got my own hammer mill and pelletizer and I'm growing black soldier fly larva mm-hmm. and mulberry leaves and I get a little bit of corn from my neighbor two miles down the road and I mix them together and hammer mill and pelletize them. And I can sell chicken feed for $20 a bag 
You have yourself a little business. I have myself a little business. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I not only can feed my animals for next to nothing, mm-hmm. but I might be able to, um, I might be able to make an income and be a blessing to my community. Right. I yeah. might be able to help my community be a little bit more self-sufficient and a little bit more resilient and a little bit better able to withstand hard times. And that benefits me. Well, and on top of it, you're going to have such healthy animals and healthy you, because some of these animals were feeding grain. We're never mm-hmm. meant to eat it anyways. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And there's that whole, it's just the whole thing is just mind blowing to me. It's like, why did we, I guess we went back to, we went to grain cause it was easy, but yeah, it was easy and it's cheap. And, and, and listen, I, I don't have anything against people right. that yeah. I, I've got laying pellets in, in my, in my breezeway right now. Yeah. I mean, I've life got is some good. rabbit pellets out there Yeah, because I- it's easy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I leave to go on vacation or something, um, I need it to be easy for someone to take care of my animals. So right. I have some of those pellets. Um, but it's not, it's not sustainable long-term. Um, yeah. it takes money out of my control. Um, wealth Building wealth means keeping as much of that energy within your control as you possibly can. Everyone understands that the person that blows their paycheck on Friday or Saturday after they get it and they live broke for the rest of the week is going to live paycheck to paycheck to paycheck and be a wage slave for the rest of their life until they learn to stop blowing it. And if they can cut their expenses and live so frugally that they can start bankrolling those paychecks. They can build up an emergency fund. They can take advantage of moments where economically they can acquire something that would cost twice as much or three times as much. You know, all the time I'm looking for deals. And when I see a deal on, I I don't know, canned tomatoes, for instance. Yeah. Well, I can just, I can buy a year's worth of canned tomatoes. Exactly. Yeah. In one go. And if I can get my canned tomatoes for 50% less because I'm financially wise with how I'm handling things, I can keep doing that over and over and over and I can keep more of that wealth. So when we're talking about, you know, raising chickens for meat, if you really crunch the numbers, raising those Cornish cross broilers and going to the feed store and buying retail feed, I am, I'm shocked that people actually still do this. Yeah, it, it definitely is. It's, it's like a yeah, 20, 30, $40 meat bird. Yeah. Yeah. That's unless insane. You, unless you do what you're doing, at least partially there's yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, just imagine not going with the Cornish cross that are just Franken chickens that are not natural. 
even 20, 30, 40 years ago. That's not what a chicken looked like in the supermarket. So that's a question for you. Do heritage breeds do better on a food like this? Oh, absolutely. I would expect that. Yeah. Yeah. So you go back towards to those old fashioned birds and yeah. they grow a whole lot slower. They're going to be a little bit tougher. Right. But you go more sustainable with your you know, right. raising some insects. You raise some of those, you you know, ferment some of that feed. That Those shredded leaves fermented and you put it in a pan where the chickens can peck at it. They'll eat a bunch of it. Mm-hmm. And it's really high quality protein. I mean, when if you switch from that mindset of I've I've got to do my my homesteading farming as a carbon copy of the big producers. Yeah. Right. If you switch from that mindset, I I've, I've got to copy what the big guys are doing to do it on a small scale here. Right. You 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 can't compete with them. So don't right. compete with them. Yeah. Switch your thinking. Do things more sustainable that will work better on a smaller scale. And you'll see that profit margin skyrocket when you have $5 in cost into one of those meat birds. Right. Yeah. Even if it's half the size, that's the equivalent of a $10 meat bird. Right. Right? Yeah. Versus and it's, $40. Exactly. Yeah, and, and if we keep profit yeah. margin there, or you have savings because you ate the ate it yourself, right? And so, so when we're doing this kind of stuff, and 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 thinking about it from if times are good, mm-hmm. does it still does it work? Absolutely. Yep. My family's healthier. I'm keeping more of my dollars under my control. That means I'm getting wealthier. If times get really tough, I can still feed my family. Right. I can keep more dollars under my control. This is a win-win. Yeah, it's huge. It's just huge. We just have to shift our thinking a little bit and um right. and then plan ahead because obviously these trees aren't going to be into production this summer if I plant them this spring. Yep. So it's planning ahead. Um mm-hmm. and you you said there are other uses besides just the leaves for these trees. I mean, we kind oh, of talked about a little bit with with um burning them. And mm-hmm. um, I think I heard you mention somewhere else, something about compost. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, gosh, I mean, we can make, we can make compost, we can make wood chips. Um, you can uh, like we talked about the hammer mill and pelletizer, they make higher strength pelletizers that make wood pellets. Oh. You know, they sell these, these Traeger grill things that use wood pellets and they right. sell apple wood and they sell peach wood and they sell hickory wood. Well, true. What about mulberry? Interesting. Yeah, there's an idea. Well, and then they also sell pellet stoves that people burn. Yep. <clears throat> yep. Wow. That's like, I mean, even just for a homestead use, but then when you start broadening your horizons into a little business. Right. <clears throat> so, so we've got the, the, um, the wood pellets. You could do that. Really expensive artist charcoal comes oh, from yeah. sticks That's- of willow. Yeah. Yep. Charcoal is really easy to make. It's really yeah. simple. Um, so you can make artist charcoal. Um, I'm sure people have heard of rocket stoves and rocket mass heaters. Yeah. When, when you think of cooking with wood, most people think about going out there with a chainsaw, uh, cooking or heating with wood, but especially cooking with wood. 
most people think about you cut down a big old tree with a chainsaw. Right. Yep. And then you split it up and you split that up into smaller pieces and then you cook with that. Right. That's not what people did for a long, long, long time. Yeah. People cooked with coppice wood. That's they true. They cooked with stuff that was this big. That's true. And I think about this too for me, like as you age, because I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> That's way more, it's way more doable to use coppice wood than it is to get this huge oak and then have to split it mm-hmm. down into sizes and then mm-hmm. have to haul it. Or you have this coppice wood. That you I do mean, this with. Snip, yeah, snip, just, snip, snip. It makes so much more sense as you age to, to do some of this too. Mm-hmm. I mean, physically, <clears throat> bales of hay or coppice wood that you can make into bales that are the size that you can haul. Right. Just everything about it. Mm-hmm. makes you can design it because mm-hmm. that's what that's what you do too is you design these systems you can design the system to make it take less time and and um mm-hmm. for your age <clears throat> and your ability or yeah that's like my mind's just going a million ways right now <laughs> thinking right yeah that. yeah and so um you know you're gonna have you're gonna have branches um you're gonna harvest that stuff all throughout the summer uh you're going to stop in the fall. And then if you're coppicing, you're going to have to reset that system back to ground zero. It means you cut everything back down to the ground. Okay. You have all this wood that's green wood that would run through a wood chipper really quick and easy. And so you either make wood chips to use as mulch, or you t- take those wood chips, which are a ramial wood chip, which is a high, yeah. um, high cambium to lignin ratio. Great. And and you put those wood chips through a Johnson Sioux bioreactor once a year with all of that material you just harvested. And then once a year, you get an amazing compost out wow. of that tower. That, yeah, that's cool. <clears throat> or you take that wood and you cut it up into an appropriate size to put in a charcoal retort or a, a charcoal pit. And you make charcoal and then combine that with your animal bedding you can take that charcoal and run it through a grinder mm-hmm. and sprinkle it in your in your barn right or your yeah. chicken coop or whatever to absorb oh. those nutrients and then when you clean that out once a year and you put that in a composter like a johnson sue for instance yeah what do you make you make biochar yeah biochar amazing soil that's just right. like this is you like, make yeah amazing soil so so Really, when you think about it, this whole system, it's there's no waste. Closed loop almost. You are I mean, you are be. utilizing every single part of this whole ecosystem and you're keeping it all within your control. Right. You keep doing this and you'll build so much fertility, you will be forced to export it. If Not you're exporting problem. it's a wonderful problem to have because that's what profit is. Mm-hmm. But if we are exporting all of the fertility that makes it possible, we have to import fertility. And that's what you have with farmers mm, that yeah. have farms and half of their profits go to purchasing fertilizer because right. they're on a razor's edge of utter disaster. Right. Where if they don't fertilize one year, they don't get a crop. Yeah. Right. Because they've mined it into oblivion. Yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah. And right now that's a disaster waiting to happen because we have 
fertilizer, certain aspects of the fertilizer are hard to find, or they've gone up in price Mm -hmm. dramatically. And yeah. 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 So, you know, if we do this with our own garden, um, and we get our garden just amazing, filled with beautiful, beautiful soil to the point where we hardly have to fertilize anymore. Well, then what do we do with the excess? We could package it up and bag it and, and sell it as a profit. Right. Or we can roll over into our tree systems and get them healthier and growing faster and producing more. Because right. they might grow so vigorously, you can get two or three more cuttings per year than yeah. otherwise. And yeah. then you might get to the point where you're snowballing so much that you can't even keep up with it all. Right. That's that's and, the plan. That's the hope, right? For Yeah. <laughs> and then you get to the point where, man, we just... We're just kind of throwing this stuff everywhere, and now we're just throwing it out in a field because we can't, right. you know, the we've saturated the market, and now you're what? just building up your broad acre areas. And I love the idea, like you spoke of earlier, I just love the idea of blessing my community and, mm-hmm. and turning the community onto this and just, um, <clears throat> you know, you're either giving them some of the fertilizer or you're they're buying it from you or you're teaching them to do this even mm-hmm. on their own home. It's like the... The little you could do that turn this into the new form of victory gardens and right you know all over just, your neighborhoods. Just, just imagine yeah. being being so free to um, to bless somebody else that you can show up to a retired veteran's house or a widow's house mm-hmm. and you just show up and put in a garden for them and you show up with three four yards of this beautiful biochar rich compost and you slap a garden in for them put up a little fence around it throw in an irrigation system that's automated put some plants in there and then boom they have a garden right yeah that's life-changing it is it's life-changing and and to be able to do that and that's you know that's kind of that's been my i feel like that's been what's been put on my heart is to help people do that in the community um, the community aspect of that and having so much abundance that I can go out and do that, go out mm-hmm. and help other people do that. And um, that's really cool. Is there, I was just thinking, I wrote this down earlier. Is there any way to have the animals do some of this work? I know you said you have to be careful with the animals eating certain parts of the trees. <clears throat> um, yep. Or is this all me? If I have to go out and do all of this type of thing. Well, that comes down to um, how much space do you have okay. and how many animals do you have? Okay. Um, if you have enough land that you could put some, some paddock divisions up or rotationally shift your herd through, okay. then you might have a, an area where you have a whole bunch of pasture. And then on the margins, it's normally fenced off, but periodically – you know, like once a week, you might uh, fence a a small cell mm-hmm. um, and let your flock of of sheep or goats or cattle in to eat uh, your your coppice system, and then you kick them out so they don't destroy it. They'll harvest all those low leaves, and then you could wait a little bit and then go top it. And it'll force it to regrow down low. Okay. And then you could let them back in there a month later. Um, now, true. it's it's less efficient mm-hmm. than harvesting from the top. Okay. Because 
the lower branches will be shaded as it produces. Okay. So it's not going to make as much. That makes but, sense. But like I said, if you have more acreage than you know what to do with, then you can run a technically less efficient system and let those animals do more of that work for you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's it's cool. kind of like like that French intensive gardening versus kind of the more permaculture, sep pulser, seed ball. I'm just going to throw a whole bunch of seeds out yeah. and I don't care if I get, you know, amazing yields. I've got all the cabbage I know what to do with. Um, right. Cause it's just me and my wife and you know, we need, you know, a hundred heads of cabbage and there's 200 out there. I don't care if cabbage loopers get in some of them cause I got plenty more. Right. Okay. Yeah. How long does it take for the trees to get to the point where you're feeding animals? So say somebody buys trees from you, they plant mm-hmm. them this year. How long, or does that depend if I'm on climate and care and all that too? Um, it really depends on, on how much you're able to baby those trees and okay. fertilize and water. Okay. Um, I mean, you can start, think about it like, like a retirement account, like a savings account. Um, the more you roll the interest into it, the more compound interest you're going to get, right? Right. Um, if you put $10,000 in a retirement account and then every week you pull out $1,000, and you don't put any more money into it in about 11 weeks it's all going to be gone right right so if we plant those trees and we don't harvest anything the first year they are going to put more sugars into their roots and regrow faster the following year all right the more time and energy we give them the faster they're going to grow within their genetic limits of course Right. Um, so if we absolutely need to, yes, you absolutely can be harvesting from those in year one. Okay. Months after you get them in the ground, they start growing and they're producing some leaves. You can absolutely start harvesting first year. Um, I prefer to give them at least a year to get established if you're able to take care of them. Okay. I, I have some, some of these fodder trees that I've just jabbed in in pots and I have not fertilized them. I haven't watered them well. And they're no bigger than when I put them in the pot because huh. it just haven't gotten the fertility. Right. But I've got them out in the field where they have plenty of fertility. Your mileage is going to vary depending on your soils. You know, some people, they'll put them in the ground and two years later, they're four foot tall versus I put mine in the ground and two right. months later, they're six foot tall. Yeah. Um, it just, it depends on how much, how fast they're growing. Um, I, the rule of thumb is get them in the ground, give them a whole year to grow. Okay. Um, if, if they get up to the size of a broom handle okay, before you cut it down in the winter. So let's say you're going to coppice it. I like to let them get to about broom handle, tool handle diameter before okay. I, cut them down to the ground to coppice them That's in the winter. That's a good rule. Okay. That's good to know. <clears throat> um, if you're fertilizing well, you should get about 10 times as much growth the next year. As oh, We'll see with mine, right? <laughs> we'll see. Yep. <clears throat> don't decimate them. I, I have a, a client that um, she took pictures. Um, she actually had 
two side by side. One she cut down in the winter and the next one she let, she didn't cut down at all and just let it grow just to see the difference between the two. And the one she cut down, let it get up about tool handle size, broom handle, um, about that big around. You can see the gray wood uh-huh. where it was cut. And there's about 10 times as much of growth that shot up around it wow. as that one in, this, in its second year. The other tree that she did not cut, it was about this big around. Okay. So a little bit bigger around than, than a, you know, a shorter squatter, uh, soup can. Right. Vegetable okay. Can. Yep. <clears throat> you know, coffee mug. Right. Size. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's in its second year. So wow. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I know our, uh, our wild mulberries we have here at our house, they're just huge already and they're only three years old, but mm-hmm. your trees that I bought from you those were first year this year and they're planted out at our property. So I, I'm really excited to see what happens um, mm-hmm. next year with them. Cause I babied them all summer long. They were my good. They good. were my precious. <laughs> nice. Summer. nice. Them, and, them and my fruit trees were, were my precious. Um, well, I want to respect your time and I wanted to start to close. Did you want to talk anything about um, say anything about where we can find you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so on on YouTube, I have hardly anything um, up on the Homegrown Liberty channel on YouTube, but uh, next year and probably a little bit this winter, um, we're going to be putting out more stuff. Okay. Um, that's that's going to be kicking up a notch, hopefully, if I don't get overwhelmed with everything else I've got to do. Um, there's a lot of people kicking down my door to get me out to their properties to help them yeah. plan for um, the fall. Depending on your perspective, that could be the fall of the nation or that could be the fall of the next year. Right, right. Um, yeah. yeah. There's, there's a lot of people uh, that are having me out to their properties. So um, if you're interested in consulting, yeah, the best thing to do yeah, is, is to send me an email to... Okay. Nick at homegrownliberty.com with yep, and I'll, consulting. I'll put that in the show notes. Yep. Yeah. With consulting in the subject line. So it goes to okay. the right place. Um, and then generally what I do is I just put people on a waiting list. Okay. And then I'll send out emails when I'm going to be in that region. And, All right. and if I can fit you in, I fit you in. If I can't, then you'll go back in the waiting list and, okay. uh, and, right. and I'll see if I can get you the next time around. Um, homegrownliberty.com is my main website. And I've got um, a tab on there about consulting that has a write-up. So if you want to know what does that look like, right. kind of ballpark on what it costs, okay. there's information there. And then for my plants and trees, there is rareplantstore.com. It's got a lot of stuff there. I've I've read through it all and watched it all. It's a great site. <clears throat> yep. Okay. And then uh and then I'm generally on a couple two to three, sometimes four times a week. Um a, a, a month, sorry, uh yeah. <laughs> on the survival podcast right. on on Jack's expert council answering questions right. like this. So yeah. yep. most weeks I'm on there. Um most months I'm on there. Um, at least twice a month to answer questions. Yep. 
Yeah. Yep. And I'm going to post in the show notes, I'm going to put some of the YouTube videos that you have done recently on, on this subject, because you've done some really great videos that Jack has posted on his YouTube mm-hmm. channel. Yeah. Which are really, really great information there. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, Nick, thank you so much for being on. Um, I'm just honored that you gave us your time and I'm just really thankful that you came and thanks so much. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And with that, I would like to encourage you guys to go find Nick's sites, which we will link to in the show notes. I also have some videos in a book that he suggested linked there. Um, You're going to find a lot of interesting information on his sites. And um, I would also go and subscribe to his YouTube page, which he has talked about growing. He has some very valuable teachings, and I'm just really excited to see what information he brings to us in the future. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Looking around, I find the sea. I think I need a change. The rat race I want to flee. My world I'll rearrange. I'm getting back to the roots of how it's meant to be. Growing gardens, picking fruit, racing livestock, living free. Today